2: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/slash-weight-loss. That's plushcare.com/slash-weight-loss.
3: plushcare.com/slash-weight-loss. You are listening to Missed Apex podcast. We live F one. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready. And for this episode, we'll be talking sim racing. So be forewarned, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And of course, I appreciate it's a massive diversion away from F1. But my justification is twofold. B, when Formula One couldn't be with us, sim racing stepped up and kept the driver sharp and kept racing in the global consciousness. And firstly... Mist Apex throws itself into any form of racing where we can all compete with each other and you, as our audience, can come and race us too. And two, there's an option to skip this, uh, but I hope you won't. Just don't send me angry emails. I'm joined by my fellow racers, Matt Trumpets.
4: Hey there, Spanners. How are we doing?
3: Pretty good. And the edgy and fragrant Kyle Power. How's it going, Kyle? Hey, Spanners. All good. Cheers. But... They are not the experts of the day. We are joined by a gaming expert, owner of a real race car and recent sim racing celebrity. It's Mike Channel. Hi, Mike. Hello. How are you guys doing? Hey, we're doing really well. If we can take a moment to sort of get to know you first. Um, I am jealous of every aspect of your life. And before, <laughs> before we get even to sim racing or, um, or the fact you own a race car, their, the 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 day job you have is, you know, just reviewing games. Can you tell us a bit about that?
5: Yeah, so uh, I used to work in magazines, uh, video game magazines. Um, and then about sort of eight years ago, we set up a YouTube channel called Outside Xbox, uh, doing a similar sort of thing that we were doing in magazines, but on YouTube. Um, and it's sort of uh, been been going quite well. Um, we're, we're now at two and a half million subscribers. Uh, we've got a second channel, Outside Extra, which is also going great guns. Um, and yeah, it's just a really, really fun job. Basically, I get to, well, it's basically every 12-year-old's dream yeah. job. Yeah, Matt, they're doing quite well. 2.5 million, quite well.
4: You know, we keep on meeting these people with these massive YouTube <laughs> subscriber numbers and I'm going to admit occasionally I begin to lose faith in your leadership on the YouTube side.
3: <laughs> Whoa, you're like fully blaming me for that. that is, that's unbelievable. <laughs>
4: How many subscribers do we have?
3: Yeah, like 8,000. It's a long yeah. journey. Do you remember those days, Mike, of, uh, of 8,000 starting from the beginning and watching that all uh, oh, yeah. Were...
5: Well, we, we were quite fortunate in that we were in a position to, we had a bit of backing, which not a lot of people get. So uh, we actually were able to kind of quit our jobs fully and, and dedicate all of our time. And I think that's a... A key part of that sort of early success is that we uh, you know we were able to commit fully to uh, working on the YouTube channel which not everyone gets to do most people start their YouTube channels um, just as a hobby or in their spare time in addition to a, a proper job um, so it's it's tough those early days are difficult it's really difficult when you're pouring your heart into you know content that only gets a, a couple of hundred viewers um but we were able to be persistent and and sort of really work at it and really finesse what we were offering to the point where yeah we we've got a sort of fairly healthy audience now and there's ups and downs and things like that but um i think our core audience is strong and and we make some good stuff see there you go matt we've only been at this
3: seven or eight years we've got a, a you know it's all ahead of us really
4: Oh well, I, I presume they actually had some idea what they were doing when it comes to marketing and SEO, unlike ourselves who we just guess.
3: Yeah, we've we've given it our best uh, our best punt, but that's not even the thing uh, we're most jealous of. Actually, with your um, outside Xbox, Kyle here was informing me that you know you're the only one out of those those three reviewers that's really into sim racing and motorsport. Correct, so you yeah. you get to just cherry pick every every time something like that comes in and then Absolutely. that's literally your job to review and play racing games.
5: Yeah, yeah, so um I don't think it's uh I don't think it's uh illegal of me to reveal that uh, <laughs> I've got a copy of F1 2020 so I'll be playing that over the course of the next week in preparation for its launch next week. Uh, so that's quite exciting. Um, or I suppose when this goes out, probably this week. Uh, yes. So I'll be playing the new F1 game. There's a bunch of other stuff uh, in the pipeline that's quite exciting. Um, and we get to do some fun stuff. Occasionally, the publisher of the game will, you know, put on some exciting events. So, You know, I'll get to go to a Grand Prix or uh, get to be driven up the hill at Goodwood or um, what else have I done? I've done like numerous track days and stuff in relation to to, uh, F1 games and other games. So I get to do some fun stuff. And yeah, because I'm uh, the only one who actually gives them, gives them monkeys (laughs) about that stuff. um, I I get to, I get to do all those trips.
2: Didn't you get to go to the Austrian Grand Prix? Was it
5: last year?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
5: Yes. So, uh, yeah, last year was really, really fun for me. Not a fun weekend for Pierre Gasly, you might recall. Um, but yeah, I was over in Austria for the, I actually, I was, this is how, um, sort of spoilt I am. Um, I wasn't able to stick around, uh, for the, for the actual race. So I, I just went for the Thursday and Friday to do the work because I knew I was going to Silverstone like the following week or two weeks uh, time, uh, for the race. So I sort of had to ration my weekends away from the family. So, um, yeah, so I, I didn't stick around for the race, but I watched it at home having just flown in from, from Austria, but I got to hang out with Pierre Gasly and he had a rotten weekend, you might recall. Mm -hmm. And there were already lots of questions about his, uh, his position at Red Bull at the time. And if you watch drive to survive, that's the sort of weekend they focus on him and Red Bull. So it's a real, it was a real moment in his, um, in his season. Uh, But I, I just loved seeing his redemptive arc over the course of the season. It was, it was brilliant and, and pretty emotional, actually. I don't know anyone who, uh, any F1 fan, I think, true F1 fan, who who didn't watch the end of Drive to Survive and, and sort of shed a tear or two because because of how how far he came and and the result he got at the end of the season.
3: Well, I mean, even just uh, at the end of the race when they went to his his team radio and you could just feel it was raw. It wasn't like a you know, a, look at me. Whoop, whoop, whoop. It was just raw like almost like relief and like (laughs) screaming yeah (laughs) yeah it was all that energy from his whole career just coming out in one radio transmission matt
4: well i just i I, you have this job why do you have a family i I, I just (laughs) want to know like like presumably you review video games you get flown all over the world you can do anything you want Yet somehow you've acquired a family
5: well i 've been uh, this and this is going to sound even more sp- spoiled i i 've sort of been doing it for like eight years now longer really so um yeah i, I it's it, this is awful you make me sound like an awful person here but it's it's sort of i 'm kind of i 'm very very grateful for the position i 'm in um, but i also I, I, you know I, I get to do that stuff and then you know relax and unwind by doing other things so a lot of people will finish their job and then sit and play you know, video games, racing video games, uh, just for fun afterwards. But I get to do it as part of my job. So I get to also unwind and get, I get hours back in my free time to watch movies and spend time with my family. Uh, Look, me and Matt,
3: we're we're constantly, you know, battling to be allowed to go and go, please, can we, I've worked hard all week. Please, can I have a go on one iRacing game race, please? (laughs) She's like, go and play your pretend race car game. It's not a game. It's a sim! Uh, that's what we're talking about, uh, sim racing. Here at Missed Apex Podcast, we're pretty passionate that you know fans should turn a wheel. And that's why I'm so into uh, putting on Missed Apex karting events and putting on the Missed Apex iRacing I series that we've done. You know, there's not many football fans who've not had a kick around Yet motorsport fans, there's a huge number who've not sat there and and turned a wheel. So our our last bit of making you sound like an awful self-indulgent person, because we'd rather we'd rather drag you down to our level than have to to climb up to yours. (laughs) Uh, You own a racing car and I'd love to hear about that. And also you did a little series about uh, becoming or trying to become a racing driver.
5: Yeah, yeah. So um it's almost exactly as you describe. It's coming from a position of being a motorsport fan, you know, a lifelong motorsport fan. Uh that that motorsport fandom is intertwined with video games. I've always been into racing video games. Um and, and that series in particular was was designed to sort of demonstrate what it's like as someone with no real sort of natural aptitude no karting experience none of that stuff you know can you go from literally sitting on the sofa every sunday watching motor racing to to actually being a racing driver and how will you fare and you know what's it like and and how intense is that experience and does it give you a greater appreciation of the motorsport that you watch um and and so that series which i'm enormously proud of um and it was beautifully put together by the guys at carfection so it's the carfection youtube channel where you can see this series if you haven't um this is where i
3: pretend i'm going to put a link in the show notes but ultimately i forget but i've I've got the link ready yeah
5: (laughs) um but it, it, it was it was an amazing journey. So it was a very expensive journey, I, sh- I should put that out there. I, I was saving for basically like a decade to make this happen. It's something I've always wanted to do. It was proper wish fulfillment. Um, but I bought the racing car. It was a Ginetta G40 GRDC. So what Ginetta do is they'll sell you the car. And as part of that package, they also uh, will enter you in a series of races with a bunch of other people who've bought the same car and have the same level of experience which is zero Other uh, the so drivers yeah. yeah you're not allowed to enter if you uh have a uh race license already if you've competed before so it's really designed to be the first rung on on the sort of motorsport ladder and to be a kind of level playing field there's very little you can do in terms of setup so um so it's in terms of equality uh, in motorsport it's it's a pretty rare thing in that it's very very equal um and you're not gonna be up against some like campaigning (laughs) mx5 driver who's been doing it for 12 years um uh, and knows all the circuits inside out so it's a really really good experience um i definitely encourage you to watch that 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 series if you are a fan of motorsport and if you've ever considered becoming a racing driver but what i will say was it was um one of the most sort of satisfying things i've ever done when i got to that final race weekend at brands hatch and i had a couple of really strong results for me um just the sense of satisfaction and that buzz kind of lasted for weeks and that's not something that's always the case I think you know I'm a relatively like ambitious person and so when I achieve something quite often I'm sort of already thinking about the next thing and you know what what's next for me um but actually for this I actually was able to sort of sit back and really let it sort of soak in that I had done something that I'd wanted to do since I was a kid.
4: Uh, that's that's amazing i'm just curious when you bought this car did you actually get a chance to drive it first or is it just sort of a thing you have to dive into and hope that it works with the way you drive cars in real life
5: so i um could have i could have gone um and tested it and there are other options certainly in the uk uh there's the Caterham academy they do a great uh program similar sort of deal in that it's a road legal car although it's a slightly less comfortable road legal car i would say um <laughs> And then there's the Radical Cup as well, where the car isn't road legal and needs to be transported to the circuit. Um, but so there are a few options. But I kind of knew that genetta was the one for me. Um, I'm a big fan of GT racing, in addition to to Formula racing, um, and I, I really like the idea. It's kind of baby GT. It's enclosed. You know, it's got a, it's a space frame chassis. Um, it really feels like you're in a, a sort of GT cockpit. So although I could have probably gone up to Ginetta and test-driven a car or gone to Blyton. They own a circuit called Blyton Park in the UK. Um, I just thought, you know what, this is what I want to do. I know this car is going to sort of suit me, and um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to learning how to drive a car of that sort, basically.
2: Yeah, cool. You talk about the bars and the satisfaction at the end of it, but um, I think you allude to it in your first one of your first videos in that series. Um, that far outweighs the utter terror that you must feel when you sit on the grid for the first time. And what on earth am I doing? I've had it to a lesser extent in some karting series and stuff. um, And you must question why on earth you're doing it there and you must feel pressure all through the race. But as soon as you finish, that release and that buzz. So that must feel fantastic after putting a season off.
5: Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I mean, there, there definitely is a, a sort of fear factor. There's a kind of like generalized fear factor, which is like, am I going to embarrass myself? Am I going to break the car? Is it going to cost me more yeah. money than I can afford? Um, uh, which are all very real concerns, um, and then there's the, the sort of localized terror, which is I'm going to this corner quite quickly. Am I going to be able to slow the car down and get it turned in uh, and get survive on the on the exit? Basically, so um, there's a lot of a lot of fear to get over. I think uh, some of that would be you know if I did more and more seasons, that would kind of ebb away as I got more and more used to it. Certainly, you know when I first got into go kart. I've never done karting sort of seriously, but I've, um, you know, done the odd yeah. the odd karting day. And certainly the first time, I was like, wow, this feels really, really quick, and you're you're sort of slightly nervous and stuff. But I would say now I'm I'm super comfortable with karting, and I, you know, I'm not I'm definitely not afraid w- when I'm in a kart. Um, but there's something slightly more terrifying about. Close to a ton of metal, like um, and and fiberglass, flying towards a t- tire barrier, and, and hoping you're going to be able to sort of tidy it up in time and, and keep it on the island. Uh, I
3: was in that uh, the Peugeot 206 production cup car round Silverstone, soaking wet, and I was concentrating so hard I almost forgot to be nervous until the first time I forgot to break at Abbey, ended up spinning off into the runoff area, and went, oh my god. I I have been far too complacent. Like what is going yeah. on? And that's nowhere near the speeds of of those cars. Um, but let's let's uh, move a little bit into the sim world because you became something of uh, an esports genuine celebrity. You know, you were getting commentated on uh, in the Formula E Race at Home Challenge. You were you were being you know, treated like a driver, interviewed uh, by Dario and stuff like that. Like firstly, like. Uh, with your credentials that you've pointed out, did you get invited there purely on the strength of, you know, being a, a sim racing reviewer? Is that Was that why you were invited along?
5: So the the reason I, I was invited was actually uh, more more via sort of connections within the um, oh, nice. within the industry. So um, the guys who provided the PCs, uh, Asus um, uh, ROG, uh, are the guys who pro- provided the PCs for all the drivers in the Formula E Race at Home Challenge. And I know one of the guys there, and he's a, you know, motorsport fan sim racing fan a bit like me and they had a uh a, a, an influencer race basically including guys like jimmy broadbent who's a bit of a sim racing celebrity uh steve alvarez brown uh super gt you might know him as uh similarly a, a sort of uh sim racing youtuber uh, and they had a spare sp- spot on the grid for this sort of test race before the season even began um and uh so they put me you know uh sean over there put me forward for this uh and i was obviously extremely thankful to be mm. involved. Um, and had a great time, had a really good battle and would have probably been satisfied to leave it there. Um, but I think because uh, we've got quite a loyal audience on outside Xbox and I, I sort of tweeted about it and posted about it yeah. and they uh, they sort of piled into the chat and they were, you know, supporting and getting excited and, you know, um, commenting and things like that. And I think Formula E basically realized that, uh, you know, not not too many, but a decent proportion of the, the people uh, watching these things were were there sort of supporting me. Uh, and so, you know, they, they were happy to encourage that and, and happy to to sort of have our fans along. Um, so I got a few more invites to different rounds of the of the series, which was, you know, a great pleasure. And race against some really, really impressive sim racers. Thing
3: is, before we get to the sim races, you're in there with other influencers. For example, if they did that with podcasters and you all had like the game chat on, if there was some series for just F1 podcasters, it would just be like us swearing it for F1 sake podcast and just yelling at them and being quite competitive, uh, you know, and, or creating false rumors that
5: they may have committed crimes. Did, did everyone actually right. get on? Did they? Yeah. I, I think, um, there wasn't so much of the kind of live chat stuff. I would say we were on a discord server t- together. Right. So there's a bit of sort of text chat and stuff, but there wasn't really a lot of sort of voice chat, uh, in that particular championship. Um, but it it was a kind of chill atmosphere. Everyone was kind of joking, laughing, and joking in the disc- Discord in terms of the text chat. So it, it seemed pretty good natured to me. Maybe it was more competitive than I <laughs> than I realised. But then I was never really competing for the victory. So what? What would I know? Oh, that's sickening to Kyle. Kyle's, <laughs> Kyle's judging you
3: now. Me and Matt were like, yeah, we know our, we know our level. So, you know, so as well as influencers, you, 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 some of those influencers, of course, were really good SIM drivers and all these are kind of being live broadcast as well. So there is kind of like a performance pressure there. You're representing your, your brand as well hmm. uh so you know like how how was it as it from a competition
5: point of view like did you yeah, take it super seriously <laughs> it and was go- extremely nerve-wracking um i it, i think the, the level of pressure i mean the level of scrutiny is is far greater than when i did any kind of real racing you know we had a few crowds there but no one really at a british gt weekend is going to know who i am um whereas when it's broadcast on youtube it's a much wider audience there's much more you know at stake there and um And so, yeah, it was nerve wracking. It was a, it was a weird feeling as well to have that same like race day morning jitters, but I'm sitting on my sofa instead of, you know, waking up at a racetrack and heading in for the driver's briefing and stuff like that. So a lot of the same emotions and all of the same pressure, um, and pressure to be consistent and perform, uh, when you're actually in the car as well. So it was um it was tough yeah
3: well i mean me and kyle have often talked about and, and uh your pal danny as well uh we know we've talked about how even for i-racing races we're sitting there as the lights go green we're sitting there kyle and our hearts are like racing
2: yeah i have a it's... weird thing with sim racing i get more nervous before a sim race than i do for a race in real life oddly the race in real life you've got more adrenaline and you've got the vibration of the engine and you're sitting there and you can block it out with a sim race the concentration required is arguably higher you need Mm. um and it affects i get far more nervous before sim races than i do real life
5: it's difficult because you're um it's really difficult to get into the zone you've heard of the sort of theory in terms of sport uh, of the zone as in where you're a, you're sort of a you're almost a sort of conduit for your your kind of abilities uh, and everything else is kind of blocked out it's really difficult to get that level of sort of blocking everything else out when you're sitting in front of a of a, a sort of computer screen or a tv um so yeah i absolutely agree i think it's, it's really difficult to get into that level of focus and, and concentration that you can in a race car and obviously also all of your sensations are kind of um operating when you're in a race car because you've got all the feel and the, you know the sound is you know more pervasive and like you say vibrations and things like that all that stuff stripped away in iRacing and all you've got to rely on is what you can feel through your hands on the force feedback steering wheel and what you can see on that screen um so yeah i I'd, I'd agree it's difficult um i think certainly I, I would say there's similarities insofar as i make a lot of similar mistakes in sim racing to the ones i make <laughs> in in a real racing car you know the, the sort of fundamental driving ability is is uh similarly similarly limited across the two of them but yeah you're, uh, you're
3: equally as rubbish in a sim as you are in a race car i think yeah. th- my karting uh, errors and, and lack of general aggression and lack of racecraft. Definitely translate over to iRacing, mm. but I think this is the crux of you know why I was uh, reached out to you to come and speak to us. Is I get a little bit fed up of people putting down esports and sim racing simply because you can't feel it through your butt. There's no risk of crashing into a wall at 300 miles an hour, and I think it really does down. I mean, you've been racing here with some influencers and some some sort of people that would call themselves sim racing specialists, and. I would prefer moving forward. I know it's been a stand-in for, quote-unquote, real motorsport, but it doesn't just have to be a facsimile of motorsport. It, it can be a discipline and a series and a sport, you know, all of in of itself. And I have to say, I've gotten as much competitive spirit and en- en- enjoyment and adrenaline as I have from any physical sport I've played and up there with karting as well. And I think it's hard to translate that to people who have not done it.
5: Yeah, I think that's the key—is uh, that you have to try it. Um, I think a lot of people who are kind of doing sim racing down uh, are people who are only watching it as spectators, but don't have the facility or or, or the will really to to try it for themselves, and and, and that's difficult because you know we, we all love the sound of an engine, we all love the the, the physicality of, of real motorsport, the the sensations of speed and and things like that um to a degree the danger i suppose although i I, you know i much prefer a safe race to a to an unsafe race but um i think if you if you tried it um you kind of understand that uh it's something that jimmy Broadbent says quite a lot. He says the cars may not be real, but the racing is. And it is real racing. And I think when I went and did real racing uh, for myself, I was expecting it to kind of blow Sims out of the water entirely. Mm. Um, And I was expecting it to kind of ruin racing games for me forever. Uh, And actually, what it it did was it it gave me a, a renewed appreciation for just how close a Sim can get now to those sensations, particularly something like iRacing, where you're racing against real people with similar levels of discipline because of the safety rating and stuff that that feeling of uh a race being an event and and wanting to perform um is absolutely there in in sims if you take it seriously enough you get out as much as you put in basically in in terms of sim racing and i think a lot of the people who criticize it are people who are putting nothing in to sim racing and therefore they are only ever going to get nothing out
3: and and i suppose like we we uh, with our series we we transmit it live we do highlights videos if you end up doing something dumb, you know, for, for a fact that our our director is going to put that on screen. So like for you, I mean, not only did you do the stay at home challenge, you also were like racing at the Legends uh, with Coulthard and, and Nico Rosberg.
5: Yeah. So that was the uh, that was the Heineken invited me, I think, based off the fact that I'd done the Formula E stuff uh, to their uh, challenge. Yeah. Challenge uh legends at home or something i can't remember exactly what it was called (laughs) They had some great Um,
3: names great names
5: yeah i mean well i've been a quarter fan i'm old enough to have been a quarter fan for a very long time uh and i I mean just to share a track virtual or otherwise with him was uh was brilliant um he's such a such a legend i've been fortunate enough to meet him a couple of times and he's been an absolute gent so um Yeah, it was really cool to race against him. And then I got punted off by Nico Rosberg, who's a 2016 um, Formula 1 world champion. So, like, you know, proper wish fulfillment stuff. So that was really, really good fun. It was fun as well uh, as a change of pace to play the uh, F1 game, which is still, you know, very authentic, but not anywhere near as hardcore a simulation as our factor is. So I, I was able to relax a bit more in that race and kind of just let it, you know let the chips fall where they may and know, and know that I ha- would have c- basic control over the car for the most part. Um, so that was really, really good fun. It was a bit more of a kind of what you would call a casual experience. Yeah. But, um, so we all of the names involved. It was incredible. <laughs> oh, yeah, I
3: bet uh, we, we were in a session, a practice session and we're assured it was the real Rubens Barrichello and his son, both racing that, in that series, you know, they just dropped in and he's there on track. And you're like, that's the guy who's driven. I think the most F1 races ever, Yep, there. He, oh, it is probably in Brazil or something like that, and it was yeah. into Lagos too. So that was a real thrill.
5: Uh, it's but- a strange moment of connection, isn't it? Yes. It's, even though you're thousands and thousands of miles away, you know, DC and Nico were in Monaco, Monaco for that yeah. for that half an hour or whatever. You're both doing the same thing, focusing on the same thing, and you might not be occupying the same physical space, but you are occupying the same virtual space, as it were.
2: Yeah, um, I had a similar thing. Uh, Carlos Sainz has cropped up quite a few times in my Formula <laughs> Three sessions in um, in iRacing. It's just brilliant. It just adds to the whole thing. You know, like, oh my God, that's the current McLaren Formula One driver, like wasting me around the outside on, on this track. But yeah, I'm honoured to be passed by him,
3: Kyle. You know, that's what the Mistapex listeners think when they get on track with you and iRacing. They're like, oh my God, that's Kyle Edgy Power. <laughs> I, I can. I, it's so realistic. I can. I can smell his fragrance. He smells so mm. good. <laughs> that's what they're I've thinking got hair in my eye from his beard so t- <laughs> tell you what we were all nodding along when we were talking about the f1 game not being you know that all-and-out sim experience to any non-sim racing fans who've got this far in this uh very special episode of missed apex podcast uh, why why isn't it a sim What, what is that difference that line between game and out and out sim
5: i think um I think it, it, it comes down to the physics engine, obviously. Uh, that's that's the underpinning uh, of the entire thing. And this is not a, a failure in the, on the part of Codemasters in terms of they've failed to make it realistic enough because a Formula One game has to be accessible to fans of the sport, you know, and the fans of the sport vary in their level of skill massively. Um, whereas a hardcore um, simulator like iRacing or R-Factor is is looking for the the real top level of kind of enthusiasts. And so um, I think it's just to do with the um, level of stability the car has on the edge, the, the uh, f- forgiveness in the tire um, elements like that, I think uh, are the thing that makes uh, the F1 games a bit more um, sort of easy to, easy to manage and easy to handle. Our um, factor, I mean, you know, it really takes a lot to get dialed in and, and not sort of, you know, overdrive the car, basically. Um, certainly those uh, Formula E cars were also a kind of unique challenge in terms of the level of weight. They've got the uh, level of grip, the sort of treaded tires um, have, you know, there, there isn't another top level motorsport that runs on treaded tires in dry conditions. Um, and yeah, the regen braking as well is, is another factor. So um, they were quite challenging to get to grips with. Our factor has a lot of very clever maths going on under the surface. But um, yeah, in terms of... Um, the difference between a casual more casual game simcade you might call it uh, and a, nice. a fully blown simulator tends to be the, the behavior of the tire right that's the that's the thing that is in contact with the asphalt um and and how forgiving that tire is is is, is makes a difference essentially
4: well i was going to make a joke about how if it was a formula one you. sim most people would spend the first month on the game just learning how to drive out of the garage without crashing
5: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah but
4: but then you started talking about Formula E. Which which model of Formula E car were you in? Was it the the latest generation, or was it the previous one where the regen braking was really an art form?
5: It's and not um, a science? it's the Gen Two. So, uh, but I think it's the it's not the Gen Two Evo. I don't think so. I okay. think that's maybe the difference. What's interesting about the Formula E uh, car is that I believe in the real sport, there's quite a wide variation of transmissions. Uh, some of them, I think only have a single gear. Uh, others have, you know, up to five gears. So, um, the one in the game has two and I, I heard Alexander Sims saying that was different from what they run in the BMW. So, um, that's kind of interesting uh, factor in getting my head around the gears and when to shift up, um, and when to, sh- when to shift down or not. Um, because you've got a lot more torque available to you in a an electric engine. Um, that sort of instant torque delivery. Um, it, it was, again, like a real challenge game get my head around that when you're used to, in a Formula 1 game, you know, banging up and down the gearbox like crazy every single corner.
2: Yeah, with the... Formula one game F1 2019. I was a massive fan. I did the career mode. I think i got to my third season. Um, I was a bit of a masochist. It was like no assists fourth <laughs> cockpit view, manual ERS. So, and I should say it's extremely, extremely difficult when you have all of the assists off, but they have to make it yeah, a wide window for people to be able to compete with you on pad. And we ran our own championship. We had pad users who are almost as quick as, or some of them were quicker than the wheel users. Um, But again, it's that making it available to play on pad for the masses is where they lose the little sim sim element. Like you can jam the brakes on mid through a slide to save it where you couldn't really do in real life or jam down to first in a hairpin to get the extra rotation where the gearbox Mm. wouldn't let you. So when I moved over to iRacing, (laughs) the cars don't let you jam down the gearbox. So I was forever running on at first because I was trying to come down the gearbox like Formula One and it just simply wasn't letting me.
5: Yeah, I think it's... um, And that's not to say that there aren't sort of little... uh, tricks that the really top level guys have managed to uncover in in R factor Two certainly the way they were getting rotation into the car in certain corners was far beyond what i was able to do but they they, there are sort of tweak you know no simulation is absolutely perfect um and there are sort of exploits but i think the exploits are harder to find in the in the more accurate sims than maybe in in sort of formula one whereas as a, as a, a sort of relatively average player like myself you can still work out some little tricks to to get a bit of extra speed out that you wouldn't really be able to do in real life and i think you see that in the in the sort of formula one esports racing some of the overtakes they pull off you you would never (laughs) see anyone attempting those in a real car and it's exciting because they're good overtakes but they're they're really a little a little extreme uh compared to the the real thing and 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 yeah, go on. Sorry, Carl.
2: Go on. Go. So I said it's the lack of consequence on the simmer in these games. There is no consequence. They can try and they're not going to write the car off or hurt themselves. So why not have a go?
3: Well, you're, you're leading into the point that I was going to make there, Carl, which is where I think iRacing, and I'm not sponsored by iRacing, but I think where that stands sort of head and shoulders is even though it's a sim, you wouldn't make those moves you're describing because it has a realistic damage model. You get, uh, lose, uh, Incident points, safety points for going off track, and you can get disqualified if you have too many. And that really adds to the sporting element. And that's the only reason old old codgers like me and Matt Trumpets there can compete is because while the younguns are going about losing their heads and and losing bits of wing, we're gently toddling about waiting to pick up uh, waiting to pick up the pieces. But that damage model, uh, Mike, is is so ex- essential that the only thing I didn't like about the formula uh, the Formula E sports version was damage being off and sometimes you would get like this funnel of crashing cars with no damage and they were like moving like a like a swarm but once you got into the racing it was it was it looked amazing
5: yeah I think they um they sort of ramped up the damage as the season went on so certainly the first yeah. the first race there was no damage which was great because I definitely hit the wall a couple of times uh but by the sort of third or fourth race I, I did manage to rip the wheel off but I did hit the hit the wall quite hard. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I mean, the damage thing, like you say, with iRacing, I think it's really, it's really fascinating to me. And again, I sort of said, I'm a big fan of kind of GT and endurance racing as well. So I did the, uh, iRacing Le Mans 24, uh, the other weekend with a bunch of friends. Um, So did Matt and, I think Matt was in that? Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, I did that too. It, it's really, it was really, really good fun, but it, it does reward that kind of endurance style of driving where you drive within your limits. You know, you don't, push it too hard in every corner and you know you'll make up like six spots over the course of a stint because other people are throwing it off the road or you know they've got 20 minutes of repairs because they've you know stuffed it into the barrier um so the, yeah, yeah racing definitely rewards that kind of racing but um yeah I, I spent a long time grinding my safety rating to get my uh, to get my license up to the point where I could compete in the twenty four with my mates, um, and now that I've done that and I've got my my sort of licenses, I might go back into some F three races or something and really start throwing it about a bit and see you know see what I can actually do rather than driving that far within my limits. Well, I
3: think that's that's the thing about the community uh, within I-, I racing, and I don't know if this is similar in R Factor or, or other Sims because I've not really thrown myself into them. But uh, like, I used to get frustrated in like 2012, which is the last time I think I played a Formula One game using the uh, the Microsoft Xbox force feedback controller. Oh, glory days. And I would love playing the single player campaign. As soon as you got into a lobby, you would just get smashed around and, and it was pointless. But iRacing has this wonderful kind of license system as well. So you have to earn the right to kind of go up to the higher cars and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong, it's not the the cheapest model. But it's it's policed so well that it's it's almost like a real sport, and you feel this kind of you're climbing a ladder with real people.
5: Yeah, it's regulated very similarly to real motorsport. Obviously, they've got their own nuances based on it being an online platform and stuff. But I think the key thing as well is that um, rather than a lot of a lot of games kind of twist themselves in knots trying to apportion blame for incidents. So uh, you know, something like Gran Turismo will try and give one car a penalty for hitting another car and not penalize the car that was hit, but then you get false positives and, you know, bizarre sort of problems there. I racing's approach is if you were in an incident, your safety rating is going down. So everyone's driving extremely carefully because they know if there's any contact whatsoever, you're they're yeah. both going to get a penalty. No one gets out of it sort of scot free. Um so that I think does have a really really positive effect on the level of competition. There are still crashes, there are still frustrations, and if you join the rookie MX Five races, yeah. uh, <laughs> you are going to see uh, a load of fresh incidents. Yeah, um, but in general, I think it improves the quality of the competition. improves the quality of the driving, uh, and and it I think just by the by the very nature of having these big event races and things like that, something like the Le Mans Twenty Four, people have been preparing for that for potentially weeks or months on end testing and you know, making setups and things like that. So when they get into it, they are taking it seriously, even though they're not uh, going to have to pay for any damage when, if they crash the car, what they're worried about is their race being over, like you would be in a real race um, and, and letting down their teammates, which you would in a, a real team-based race as well. So um, the stakes are raised by the damage model and by the safety rating. And I think people take it seriously as a result. And so the quality of racing overall improves. Yeah, they take
3: it so seriously. I've heard in some cases uh, that podcasts show notes are uh, really low priority and just abandoned to the wind. That I've heard <laughs> that happening on some shows. Don't know. Uh, Kyle?
2: As <laughs> I said, yeah, all of that consequence added, the added consequence, the safety thing, just makes the racing very organic and very natural. So people are treating it as if it was their own car because it's their license they're trying to... um trying to protect and that was my biggest um like sort of revelation when i came into iRacing from console racing was it's like i'm racing in the real world these people are actually taking it serious and they're not ramming me there's not somebody going backwards trying to take out the leaders all the time it's yeah yeah, it's fantastic it's (laughs) that other jump up and i felt at times you know especially in vr you kind of forget you're doing the game after a while you, you 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 genuinely feel like you're in that race
3: we do sound a little evangelical, don't we? Uh, <laughs> since we've already gone uh, way over how long we said we would keep you, for which I apologise. Um, but uh, just wanted to talk a little bit about the, the accessibility of sim racing. Now, just to be slightly controversial and to court many emails, I'm sure, sim racing with proper gear, being accessible, being a bit less expensive than a race car, overall... it it is in danger of attracting enough people at enough of a standard and having enough high quality competition to actually have a better overall driving standard than a sport that has a relatively smaller amount, quote unquote, real motorsport, where the barriers to entry are so high.
5: Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't think we're, any of us are saying that it will ever sort of replace real motorsport. And I think we're, we're at a really interesting point right now, which is that Formula One, is back now in real life. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting to see what sim racing looks like over the coming months, because it's had, you know, uh, it's had an amazing stage yeah. on which to kind of show its wares. I think it's changed a lot of people's perceptions of it. There's been some amazing events. Um, obviously, all the stuff the race has organized, the legend series, the Formula E stuff was brilliant. Uh, the F1 esports stuff has been uh, a great show um, from a kind of spectator perspective in terms of getting celebrities in there. Obviously, it's very different from their existing esports offering, which is very impressive as well. Uh, and things like the virtual uh, Le Mans 24 virtual was an amazing event, you know, from a presentational point of view from the driver lineup that they got which is better I think than which kind of alludes to your point better than the real Le Mans 24 driver lineup because it was a mix of you know races mm. from all eras and all disciplines uh, all kind of crammed in together so um, they've had an amazing few months it's I think it's shown sim racing in a brilliant light there have been technical hitches there will always be technical hitches um, but uh, I think what's really interesting is where sim racing goes from here and I think like you say hopefully it's it's kind of changed enough perceptions that it will exist alongside real motorsport and perhaps at times when real motorsport doesn't happen so i you know i can fill my weekend quite handily with f1 f2 uh porsche supercup indycar uh you know gt world challenge the vln you know all these things i could easily fill up but they all happen on a saturday on a sunday a sim race can happen any night of the week so if you want to you know, if you've got an itch to watch some motorsport on a Wednesday evening, that's when sim races should be. And I think that's what they've done with the F1 esports stuff as well. It's tended to be kind of weeknights, you know, in between races. It also is an excuse to fill up the the winter uh, season and yeah. keep people sharp during the winter. I think we'll see a lot more uh, of the real life athletes who are the the draw in a lot of these sim racing races that we've been watching. I think you'll see a lot of them using sim racing more having been exposed to it in quite an intense way during this this lockdown, um, using it more during the winter season to have fun, stay in touch with their mates. You know, the, the friendships between guys like George Russell, Lando Norris and Charles Leclerc has just been beautiful to watch, you know, um, across all this sort of live streaming and sim racing. So I think they'll want to, in the same way that you and your mates want to get together and, and, and do some racing, Um, they'll want to, they'll want to keep in touch over the winter season, um, when they're out of a car and, and keep sharp by sim racing. So I, I don't think anyone's, uh, assuming that we're going to be as watching as much sim racing as we have been doing. Um, real motorsport just looks and sounds better. It's always going to, and it's the stakes are always going to be that little bit higher uh, as a spectator. But um, I do think sim racing has, has done some amazing work and I think it will be a sort of fixture just by the nature of the fact that, you know, as motorsport fans, we should consider ourselves very, very lucky that we have uh, the opportunity to play a simulation at home for a moderate cost. Um, I'm not saying it's, you know, super cheap. But if you buy a steering wheel and pedal set and you buy a console, uh, that is enough to have something that is a pretty close analog to the experience of real racing. Football players can go for a kickabout in the park, but they don't get to race at, you know, they don't get to play at Wembley necessarily, or, you know, like we get to race at Silverstone, for example. Um, so I think we should, as motorsport fans, we should all feel very lucky that we can get that close to the real thing from the comfort of our own home. Um, and I think that's the reason why probably sim racing, certainly as a participatory thing, is definitely going nowhere. It's only going to be more popular, particularly as a bunch of people have probably bought sim rigs yeah. to keep themselves sharp over the course of this lockdown period when they're stuck at home. Um, but I think also as a spectator sport, it's, it's gained a bit, of, bit more respect, a bit more interest from the, the names that are a big draw. And I think it will be here in a more prominent fashion than it was before lockdown uh, in an ongoing way, hopefully.
3: Well, you know, talking about getting close to it, we asked our driver pro Bradley Philpot, who is a Nordschleifer specialist and drives in the VLN. We said, you know, when you do that similar kind of setup in uh, in your sim rig, he's got a better sim rig than we have. But when you do it, how close do you get to the feeling and the experience? And he was very bullish about it. He said, you know, look really, really close. I get most of that same experience in my sim rig in in VR. In virtual reality. But I think the real appeal for esports, where it's got real potential, you said it will never be more popular than real motorsport, is the ladder. So if you have the very elite and then you have lower leagues with promotion and and stuff like that, there is that outside dream that, you know, you and I could sit there in the lower divisions and work our way up to the one that's on the telly, even if it's late night Channel (laughs) 4, or the equivalent. You know, there's that same kind of football league spirit that doesn't exist in real motorsport.
5: Mm, Yeah. I mean, real motorsport is still, as someone who's done it, prohibitively expensive. That's just the, it's just the nature of it. Uh, and, uh, again, like I said, it's not, it's not completely like free to get into sim racing, but the the barrier to entry is so much lower that sim racing is much closer to a true meritocracy than real motorsport will ever be. Because, um, you know, you have to, you have to be able to, buy your way into real motorsport whereas if you're a kid with you know and you're living in a council house uh, you know in in a in a sort of poor area of you know some city um let's say Luton, to find the sure, to say the worst why not? possible Luton. one yeah um if you can get your hands on even just a control you know a lot of the a lot of the gt academy guys started off on controllers you know they they developed their love of of, of yeah sort of racing on a on a playstation pad um but the quick guys are quick, whatever they're whatever they're using. You know, you don't need a direct drive steering wheel to be quick. You know, the fast guys are fast, and so in that sense, you know, it is a it is a true meritocracy, um, and and that will never be the case in real motorsport. But what I'd like to see is more um, cases of of really really fast sim racers getting the opportunity to to drive real cars, because I think I think it's more and more being proven as a kind of valid way to assess talent and there's a guy called james baldwin uh drives for a sim racing team called veloce which is owned by john eric verne i think um and he is scheduled to be racing in the uh, gt world challenge europe uh in a mclaren 720s gt3 and it's going to be really interesting to see how he fares against a bunch of quite handy peddlers in that in that championship
4: yeah, well, I mean, I think you'd think Jan Mardenborough would be the classic example of that, and that was that came out of, I believe, it was a reality show. That uh, was it, Sony that put it on, or mm-hmm. a Nissan or a comedy. Yeah, Sony and Nissan, two. yeah.
5: Excellent. Yeah, he, he's um, he's a uh, you know, Jan Mardenborough is a really interesting example. Uh, he's playing his trade in um, Japan at the moment, um, but I, I think it's like you say, that was a long time ago, and it's sort of a shame that more people haven't come through that system. I think Nissan were big supporters of it, but obviously Nissan have kind of mostly pulled out of motorsport now. Um, you know, aside, aside from in, in Japan, which is, I think why, why Yan is still out there. Um, but like there's Lucas or uh, and Yan uh, and a few other guys, I think Wolfgang ripe and guys like that who came from that GT Academy program, but no one's really stepped up in a kind of sustainable way, like a non-marketing way, uh, in terms of using sim racing as a legitimate, um, talent search, you know, and, and in theory, you know, if you're looking for, I suppose the problem is that sim races do need some refinement when they get in a real car. It's not exactly the same and they have to learn how to assimilate all of this extra information, all the sensations, all the stuff coming up through your bum that people always talk about as the difference between sort of sim racing and real racing. So they do need a bit of shaping, but I think, You know, professional teams should be looking very, very seriously at this. And I think um, what I find really fascinating, and it's not a pure example, but it's something I think as Formula One fans on a Formula One podcast, you should be keeping an eye on. is a guy called Igor Fraga, who uh, is a Gran Turismo uh, world champion. Uh, He also uh, has raced um, Brazilian F3. So he was a racing driver, ran out of budget again. This thing about it not being a meritocracy in real life motorsport, uh, ran out of budget, and then turned to sim racing, uh, just you know, to continue racing in some form. Turns out he's pretty good at that as well. Has made a name for himself in sim racing, has now backing from Gran Turismo uh, on the on the back of that, and will be racing in an F three car in Austria this weekend. And by the time this podcast goes out, we'll know how he's done, but I suspect he's going to be pretty quick. And it would not surprise me if, um, he was the first. And like I said, it's because he'd done some racing before. It's not an absolutely pure example, but I think he might well be the first person to make it to F1 with a, a kind of strong, heavy sim racing background, as opposed to a sort of continuous motorsport career. Um, which most people do. Yeah, um, he's used it
3: to kind of like duck back and then, and then duck forward. So you, that yep. hype, but even, you know, his story of getting up, his hybrid story will include sim racing, which will, will further the goal. And the technology is only going to get more realistic, more sensitive. It's only a matter of time before, you know, you have forced feedback bum. Bum patches, and and then we can get rid of that kind of God of the gaps argument as we start feeling it through our bum as well. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we'll plug your your channel uh, and your your um your Twitter because you need you need you need our help. You, you, you're not even <laughs> you're not even at forty two thousand followers on Twitter. So
5: I go, know. I should try harder. Really, should so I? I? Go give him a little follow.
3: Go on a sympathy follow. It's um, at Mike Channel with two L's. I would have leaned into that. Uh, Chanel. I think I would have gone with Chanel. But you've it makes you sound more
5: sophisticated, definitely. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a pretty basic kind of guy.
3: <laughs> and also go and check out uh, their stuff at youtube.com forward slash outside Xbox 2. And I will. I'll remember to put the link to your uh, Becoming a Racing Driver series in the show notes. I super duper promise. Follow my panel. <laughs> At Matt PT fifty five. Follow Kyle at Kyle Power F one and me at Spanners Ready. Until we see you next. Be brave because wounds heal. Chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex, a simulation. I think this is a simulation as well because I've got a ten year old who's trying to convince me to order 25 kilograms, he sent me a link just now, of carbon, because he's convinced that with explosive force, he can make a diamond out of it. So that's that's, that's (laughs) what I'm going back to now. He's like, fantastic. He he said, oh, entrepreneurial spirit. No, he said to me, but that's how it happens on Jupiter. I'm like, no, we're not creating the pressure of Jupiter in our back garden.
4: Planning for your next trip?